Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. Morning, everyone. My name's Steph. I'm one of the pastors here and um, looking forward to uh, picking up on the, um, the series in James. So if you've got a Bible with you, please turn to James chapter 1. We're going to be looking at the last part of James chapter 1 today. Um, this uh, sermon's got three points here, here and do, do. Okay? What was the first point? Yeah. Second point? Yeah. Third point? Yeah. There we go, sorted. You got it, you got it, you got it down. Very straightforward. It's James to the point. There we go. Here, here and do, do. We're going to look at it, take it three chunks um, at a time. And um, be prepared if you're not used to the Bible, you're not used to the book of James. He just says it really how it is, and um, you know, just put your seatbelts on. It's just his style. It's just his way. Um, but it's such br- brilliant treasure in there. So let's read the first few verses um, together. Um, know this, my beloved brothers. Uh, no, we were great as we were, Adrian. Thanks. Um, I'm going to go through bit by bit, so we just stick on this bit for now. Thank you. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear. Slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. All right, yep. (laughs) It's almost like you just got to read it and got to say anything and just just read it, you know. I mean, what what can you add um, to that? James, James says, um, quick, slow, slow, quick, slow, slow, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. How much we need to hear this. We tend by nature to be quite reactive as people. We tend to be um, quite proud, you know, as well. We tend to think that. Anyone ever been in um, one of those situations where you get into an argument with someone about exactly what you said? You ever been in that one? No, I said exactly these words. And they go, no, no, no. No, you said exactly these words. It was none of you really knows exactly what words you said. No, I mean, even by the way the brain works, you don't know. But you get into that place where you just, it just becomes a, you don't actually know. You know what you meant. And they know what they heard. But neither of you know exactly what you said. Impossible to recall without a recording. You just can't. The brain, that's not how... Simply how the brain works. But we tend to be like this naturally. We tend to be naturally quite insecure. We tend also to be naturally quite impatient. We have to face the realities of these things. It's not nice to face, but I think that, you know, if, you're, if we're honest, if we're not feeling defensive, when we're feeling defensive, it's, no one wants to admit to such things because you just feel that you're going to get attacked or someone's going to damage you. But if you're feeling Relaxed, you feel those around you love you, you can begin to let your guard down and say, actually, I am a bit like this. Yes, I can be a bit like that. On this subject, yeah, I am a bit touchy. And we live in an increasingly very polarized, angry world, as Rich was talking about yesterday. Maybe it's always been like that, but I think the, the social media thing, it's just so it's so on display, this polarizing, angry Thing where you say one thing, you're put there, and I'm here, and bang. And it's just become a really uh, very, very um, 
It's like, it's, like, it's like tinder. It's like dry wood. It's the slightest thing. It causes a spark and flames erupt. James is, James is wanting to help us here. He's saying, listen, the kind of people uh, that you are, saying, be, be quick to listen, quick to hear. And then maybe ask what the person said so you make sure you really understood, so you can hear some more. And look them in the eye so they know you're listening. Be quick to hear. The art of listening is a very, very powerful thing. You speak to someone and you know they're listening to you. It makes you feel so relieved. When you're talking to someone and they're looking all around the room, you ever been in that situation? Talk to someone, they're all over. <laughs> can hear, oh yeah, there's people resonating already. Um, flatmates, couples, I was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the art of listening is an incredibly powerful thing to feel like you've been heard. It's a really important, powerful way to love someone. You just fly off the handle, react, you're quick in with your thing, and it's got an angry edge to it. Straight away, people are going to be, it's, it's not going to go well. You start to bring out the worst in one another. I've been thinking a fair bit about this in preparing for the sermon here and there on righteous anger. What, 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 how do you know when you're righteously angry? Because normally when you're angry, you, it just feels righteous. <laughs> yeah? I don't think anyone ever felt angry and didn't feel justified whilst they were angry. You always know, you know, you feel, but is it righteous? Well, a study of Jesus is very interesting. There's a number of times when Jesus was angry. He was angry when his father's house, the temple, was being turned into a place of business. He was angry when the religious leaders, because of their hardness of heart, didn't want someone to be healed on the Sabbath. He was angry at death when he saw the grief around the death of Lazarus, his friend. But notice all of these incidents when Jesus was angry, it was never because he himself had been personally offended. When he was the subject of abuse and all of that, we find he says things like, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. I think the most sure way to know that the anger that you're feeling is, not, is righteous is that actually the person that's been badly treated is not you. I don't know that it's possible to discern whether or not you're in a place of righteous anger or not if you're the person who's been grieved. I just don't, I just don't know how you know that. I think you need a, a measure of objectivity that is very, very unusual to be able to discern that. How angry do I get about others that face certain injustices? That's a really good gauge of my, uh, how, how I'm learning to be angry in a godly way. Or how much of my anger is focused on where I feel I've been wronged. Or my, my gang, my group, or whatever. It's very, very important that we consider this. This is part of humility, which is what James says. He says, listen, um, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. There's this thing about listening and carefully listening and not jumping in straight away and not, you know, one of the most annoying things, isn't it? When, when you know, Vina will say, I do this sometimes, and um, she never does, she's perfect, but I do this sometimes, is that, you know, um, I just jump in too quick while she's talking. You haven't, I haven't finished yet. Just feel, when someone does that to you, just feel, oh, let me say what I'm saying. James says, don't do that. So just listen, be slow. In How many times have I been grateful the morning after that the email I wrote that night, I didn't press send? Because even though the content was fine, I found anger in my heart just before I was about to press send and said, no, I'm going to bed. How many times the next morning have I been, thank, thank you, Lord. 
thank you, Lord, and just adjusted the tone a little bit, dealt with my anger in my heart, and then looked at it again, that, that needs to change, that needs to change. Slow to anger, slow to speak. It's very, very practical, James. Meekly receiving the gospel, meekly receiving this message of Jesus crucified for us. There's something about the gospel, the more you receive it, it has to deal with your pride. It has to bring you to a place of meekness and humility because as we've been hearing in the praises this morning, you just go, Lord, look what you've done when I was a million miles away from you. It has to impact you when you consider, why did, you, why did he die? Why? Well, it is that he loved us, yeah, but it's not, it's, not, it's not simply that. That doesn't explain the whole thing. There's this other thing about my sin. The cross makes no sense without the reality of sin, without the reality of a holy God who's been offended by the ways that we live and the things that we say and the attitudes in our heart. The cross makes no sense. And so then there's a reality of everyone who's a true believer has faced the reality of the fact that they are a sinner, fallen. Now that, that, that doesn't sit well with the natural human. That doesn't sit well with a natural person. That's offensive. That, that lots of people stumble there. People never get to salvation because of that. They don't like this idea. It seems too negative or it just seems critical or it just doesn't seem like the message of love. The gospel shows us Jesus dying on the cross isn't simply God saying, this is how much I love you in a kind of a vacuum. It's God also saying, this had to happen in order for us to really experience full forgiveness and reconciliation with God. If that doesn't, if that doesn't start to deal with your pride, I don't know what will. So there's this meekness, and it's something that's a precious, precious, godly attribute. So we're straight in. Here, listen. Receive meekly. Okay, then we go on to the next section. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, I, I had to scratch my head over this illustration. I've read it for years, but suddenly you've got to preach on it. And I'm like, I don't understand it. I actually don't know what James... Why did, what do you mean you look in the mirror and you, forget, and you walk away and you forget what you look like? That's like someone who hears the word of God and doesn't do it. I was thinking, how? So well, he's, he's got this idea. Here's this idea. Something goes, they, go, they look intently. Okay, they do the stuff people do, the crazy stuff people do when no one's looking. The crazy stuff we do in mirrors when no one's looking. They do that. Okay, it was just me. Oh no, it's one of those moments, right? And they walk away, and immediately it's a, it, it dispels. It, be, it becomes a mist. They forget what they look like. James is saying that is a really helpful way of understanding what it's like when you hear God's word, you hear the gospel, you hear about the way God wants us to live, you hear all of that, and then you, you hear it. But you don't do it. Now, in what sense? Does, how does this illustration work? What he's saying is this. He's saying that if I hear a sermon, and it could be a, it's about every sermon should be about the gospel one way or the other, and then what comes out of the gospel? Just the wonders of all that God has done for us, and then about us living lives worthy of the gospel and all that. And I hear these things, 
And then I go away and I feel, oh, I feel moved. I feel, oh, it's great to hear. And then I go away. But the, 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 the things that God is calling me to do in terms of lifestyle, I don't do. Then he's, what he's saying is that in that moment, you are missing out. on it's, it's, it's similar to the guy in the mirror. So what he's saying is this. He's saying if you want to consolidate what you hear in a sermon, if you really want to remember if you really want it to form you and you really want to remember what you heard, do it. The most effective way of remembering Scripture is by doing it, not by memorizing it. Anyone can memorize the book of the Bible. It's not a wrong thing. Don't, I'm not criticizing that. It's brilliant. Meditation, memorization, I love it. But if it doesn't turn into action, you're only in more trouble than if you hadn't remembered it. The, the, true, the true renewal of the mind happens when you hear the sermon and you go, I'm going to do that. Because in that moment, whatever it's about, imagine it's a sermon about forgiveness, a massive one, forgiveness. God has forgiven us freely as a gift by sending his son. You know, we've received and embraced this message. Right now, when we pray our prayers, Lord, forgive my sins as I forgive those. It's a, it's a natural part of living in the gospel that you forgive those who offend you. Yeah, Not just in a kind of a shallow way, but it sometimes involves hard conversations and working stuff through and saying to someone, you hurt me there. It's deep, real stuff. So, so what James is saying is, is that, let's take example, a sermon on forgiveness. You hear it and you go, I need to sort something out here. I'm carrying offense in my heart. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to deal with this in terms of prayer and, and relevant, the relevant people working it through. If you do that, then the way the whole subject of forgiveness forms in you through that act is powerfully radical. You, you get it. You know it. it. It begins to shape the very person that you are. You're not like the person, what do I look like again? What, what, what does God say about it again? You know what God says about forgiveness. Why? Because you walked through it. Whether it's about generosity, trusting God with your finances. Until you do it, you won't get it. So the, the, the funny thing that we've got, the situation here is that, is anyone at the moment feeling like they've been blessed by this sermon yet so far today? But you haven't. That's exactly the problem. James says, you'll be blessed in your doing. So a good sermon, because I was really blessed. No, you weren't. You heard some good things, and now it's in the balance as to whether or not you'll be blessed. Well, it depends what you do when you leave the room. Depends what you do tomorrow. That's, that's where the blessing is. What are you going to do with this? You can be impacted I showed that I'm not just making this up. Jesus says in um, Matthew 7, at the end of um, the Sermon on the Mount, he's really, we're all familiar with the story. We sing songs about it, the man who built his house on the rock and his house on the sand. But listen to what he says. Jesus says, Matthew 7, 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a man who built his house on the rock. And then he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Both heard. Both said, wow, great sermon. Both were impacted. Both were moved. Both were stirred. One did, one didn't do. And as Pentecostal charismatic Christians, we are particularly vulnerable here because we love feelings. We love a good feeling. 
Oh, I felt so moved in the service. Great, but that is not enough. To, to walk by emotion is not the same as walking by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit is we say, God, I'm actually going to believe you here and make some decisions here from a place of faith, make some choices whereby what you say in your word is going to become part of me. I'm going to be shaped, formed, renewed, transformed as I take you seriously and make some choices here. That's the Spirit-filled life. Very, very challenging. It's fascinating that um, he says about perseverance, perseveres, that we keep at it. We just keep going at it. We have this saying in our house that we've adopted recently. We're a very emotional household. Some households aren't. Some households, it's all emotion in our house. Um, you know, these personality tests are all off the charts when it comes to emotion. It's all, you get emotion about anything, right? So the new, the new mantra in our house is follow the plan, not the emotion. All right? We'll say it to each other all the time because we're all, ah, no, follow the plan. Okay, thanks, thanks. Constantly helping each other from go, going off and passions and crazy things. So follow the plan and not the emotion. Thank God for a warmed heart. Hallelujah. I love to be in the presence of God and you know, weep at his mercy. I love all of that, and I'm not dismissing any of that. No, not, this isn't, I'm not talking about something cold here, but what I'm saying is, is that, there is that there is that application that is the, the key to the thing. So, final point of the sermon today. Let's look at, um, this is beautiful. Verses 26 to 27. So that was we done here, hear and do, now do. If anyone thinks he's religious, now here we often use the term religious negatively. I'm not religious, I'm spirit-filled. You know, he's using religious positively. Okay? It's important you understand that. At, that. Using the word negatively is something we've done in the last couple of decades because we think we're cool. Okay? But they, he uses it in the Bible, it's positive. Okay? If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. How practical do you want to get? Now, Orphans and widows, or the, or, you know, the, um, the, the widows and the fatherless, as we read often about, and th these were the most vulnerable in society. There was no infrastructure and benefits and things like that in those days. There was no social services. The widows and the orphans would be the most vulnerable in society. They're, 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 they're stuck, essentially, um, without a, a, a man in the house to provide for them. That's how it worked. So he's talking about the most vulnerable here. He's talking about a positive thing to visit those people, to incarnate, or to just give money, to incarnate, to, um, to be with them, to be present, to be present with the most vulnerable. Okay. Just, it's very simple, actually, just to be there. People that feel alone, people that feel, where do I turn? To, to be there with them. So something positive there, and then almost a negative thing, something that you don't do, is to keep yourself unstained from the world. This phrase, the world, James is very strong in it, we'll get to it later in the series, but the idea in the world is it's, it's not talking about life per se, it's basically the system, the way life works in terms of its fallenness and its disregard for God and his ways. It's like, it's built on, it's like you could say it's lust and pride. 
1 John 2 says the, you know, the, the, the world is the, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. It's pride and lust. It's that whole system that's built on wanting more and, and kind of assert, pushing yourself forward. And it's that whole system of the world. James says to keep yourself unstained from that because that's really powerful. Um, also says in 1 John that the, that the whole world, that system, lies under the power of the evil one. So he's, Satan's behind that lust and pride, constantly wanting to uh, help, but get us to think in those ways. So now here's the thing that's just really, really magnificent, because you could look at that and you could think to yourself, another thing I've got to do. <laughs> you could. More, more things I've got to do, I've got to do that. But let's just stop for a moment. This is really the gospel, if you think about it. We are the orphans and the widows. And he visited us. We are, we are, we've, we are we've, we've, you know, the Bible is clear. You know, talking about Gentiles in Ephesians. It says, you know, without hope and without God in the world. Just totally in the depths of idolatry and sinfulness. Without anything, really, nothing to commend us before God. Even the Jews with their amazing history before God. In Romans, Paul says, we're all in the same boat. We've all sinned, Jew and Gentile, fallen short of God's glory. We're lost. We've got nothing. We've got, there's, there's nothing spiritually we can bring to the table. He visited us. Do you believe that? He visited us. He's visited you. He's visited me. He's not just, he's not just given me a, a ticket to heaven. He's come. He's come and he's laid his life down on a cross. He's done that for us. And then... He's come, as we've received that message, he's come by his spirit and he's lived in us. More than visited us, he's taken up dwelling in us by his spirit. It's incredible. God will never ask us to do what he himself won't do. God says, I've come to you. I've visited you in your lowly state, in your sinfulness, in your brokenness. I've come and I've, I've more than visited you. I've, I've taken up home with you. What's it say in Revelation 3? I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens, I'm going to come and eat with them. What a wonderful, magnificent invite, the sweet fellowship of Jesus. I want to come and be with you, pauper that you are. I want to come, I'll bring the food. I want to come and be with you. It's the gospel message. But all, not only that, also Jesus kept himself unstained from the world because the Bible says that in order, for, in order for him to be able to die on the cross for us, he himself had to be sinless, totally unstained, had to keep himself from all of the lust and the pride and the sins. He himself, uh, so he would be a lamb without blemish to be a sin and a guilt offering for us. So Jesus has done this for us. It's extraordinary. It's not like, oh, I've got to do more things. I know, he's saying live a gospel life. Just live out, just live, the, live in the gospel. The way the Lord has treated you, all that he has gone through for you, just let that so impact you, let that so melt your heart, let that so deal with you and live out of that place so that it becomes natural it becomes natural to reach towards the vulnerable. Why? Because he did to you. Perfect love drives out fear. It's so tempting, isn't it? There's so much need around now. I'd say the need in front of our faces, even in the UK now, is more than ever in terms of, you know, you go on a shopping trip and you're faced by, you know, clearly, any shopping trip locally, two or three people in desperate need. What do you do? The temptation will be you just close up. I don't know how to do it. I don't know what to do here. I don't want well, to give money, but what if that? All the questions that go running around your head. And, and it's not easy, it's not formulaic, but somehow there needs to be that posture in our heart where we are living in the reality of, wow, I was utterly desperate, but you came to me. And you came to me with such purity into my mess, and you're transforming me. 
And I, only you can do that in that person's life. I can't be that. Only you can be that. But you live in me and I can try to manifest by your power and your grace something of that. And so it's a posture of living. It's a way of thinking. It's a meek heart that says, I'm not better than you. I am the poor. I am the widow. I am the fatherless. But you came to me. James is saying, this is where the blessing is. This is where the, to live like this. This is it's just it's what we do because of how he's impacted us. It's a challenging message today. <laughs> it's a really challenging message. But I don't think it's unreasonable. I think it's potentially, well not potentially, I think it is unreasonable to delight and revel in such a radical message. And then to live lives that are, for all intents and purposes, very, very similar to how everyone else is living. I think it begs the question. And I'm preaching to myself as much as you. It's, it's something we all have to, you have to wrestle with this. This is a very genuine challenge. Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, help us. And I want to give us just a few minutes to be able to just respond as we can in our hearts to the Lord. There'll be different things that have impacted you here. I've, I felt a couple of times in my spirit, just a, just a nudge from the Lord saying, this thing of offense, I think we are particularly vulnerable to it in our culture. Because it's not a culture where we tend to naturally say to someone if they've hurt us, you've hurt me. We, 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 we skate over it. Does that make sense? Jesus said, if someone sins against you, just go and tell them. Whereas we say, if someone sins against you, forgive them. But that's, it's kind of like a pseudo-forgiveness where we go, oh, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, but we just, but really we're offended. Then we wonder, why am I a bit distant from that person? Yeah, and it builds up. There's a reason why it's quite a repeated message in the New Testament is bear with one another, prefer one another, forgive one another. If you're going to do church in a real sense, we're going to rub up against one another, there'll be stuff we do wrong. A lot of the time we won't realise we've done it wrong. We won't realise. Until someone says, when you said that, that was really insensitive. Well, that really hurt me. Until they say that, very often we won't realise. But if they say it and they say it well, it's a mercy to us. Why? Because we get to grow. We get to say, I'm really sorry. And we get to learn and we get to grow. And, you know, I've been so grateful over the years here, you know, as one of the elders, one of the people that helps to lead the church here, to have numbers of people, numbers of times come to me and graciously and maturely just pull me and say, that really wasn't helpful and here's why. I've been so, I felt safe. I felt relieved. I thought, hey, we can all grow here. And we all need it. So I just want to do want to say, I think it's really important, if any of you, are, you know that the Holy Spirit's just going, carrying a fence there. Because here's the thing, I would say that we do believe in the reality of, of, of the devil, that he's there, that he's real. And Paul says we're not unaware of his schemes. And the context in which he says that, he's talking about taking offense and not forgiving. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, that's, you can read it when you get home. So that's the context. One of the devil's main schemes is getting people to feel offended and nursing that. Because as soon as you do that, you no longer, and as soon as you let that into your spirit, you're no longer reading that person accurately anymore. You're caricaturing them, you're prone to deception, you're seeing things happening that aren't happening. It's powerful, real stuff. 
You see it, Tom? You see churches pulled apart on this stuff. So I want to encourage us all. Let's be alert. Let's be watchful. Let's allow the Lord to deal with our hearts. Let's, um, you know, if you've been offended, you always have to ask yourself the question, is this me or is this them? So I won't just go in straight away. And very often the Lord is saying, no, you're just being oversensitive and insecure and proud. You go, okay, thanks, Lord. Really good to know that. It's really, it's really helpful because it's just, yeah, just get over it. Because I didn't do anything wrong. But it's pressing buttons in me. Sometimes you go, actually, no, that was, that was, that was them. So then you go, okay, can we have a chat? Can we have a chat? And I love you. You know, I appreciate you. But when you said this, or when, when you didn't do that, it hurt me. And, and you just talk about it. And then, and then we can deal with stuff. And uh, this is the doing. <laughs> what you do when you leave this room. <laughs> Sorry, folks. Said we're going to be going through James. This is what it's going to be like. So um, there's more to come over the coming weeks. This room will get smaller and smaller. Uh, there'll be six of us left at the end. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're in it. And um, we're just trusting God's going to guide and lead us through. So we just have a moment prayerfully before the Lord. To, um, and, you know, if you, if you don't know the Lord Jesus personally, if you've never been born again, if for you this feels like foreign language, you, it's, it's a new, it's not, you've never said, Jesus, I want to I give you my life and follow, I want to receive this gift. If you've never done that, then you can do it. And you think, well, I can just do it now and, and experience that straight away. Yeah, how comes? Because he's done the work on the cross. Your, your sins have been paid for on the cross. So you can be forgiven in a moment and reconciled to God and leave here as a new creation, knowing that you now know God. It's extraordinary. It's true. And um, you can get baptized and declare your allegiance to the Lord Jesus and your love for him. And we gladly help and support you. So if you want to do that, come and speak to me afterwards. I'd love to just pray with you and encourage you. Those of us who do know the Lord and are following the Lord, let's just have a moment to say, Lord, am I being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger? Lord, Am I receiving with meekness the implanted message? Lord, am I like the guy looking in the mirror and forgetting straight away because I'm not actually doing the word. I'm just kind of, um, I'm just sort of, um, I'm, not, I'm not making the move of faith, the step of faith that I know I need to. Let's just be before the Lord and, and just, uh, let's just say, Lord, we welcome you, Holy Spirit. Thank you that, thank you that, there's this thing called the priesthood of all believers, that there's not one or two priests in the church, but everyone who's born again is part of the priesthood, has access to you, can hear your voice. Thank you, Jesus. You said, my sheep hear my voice. So we just pray for the voice of Jesus by the Holy Spirit into our hearts, Lord. Thank you that there's clarity with your voice, not confusion. Thank you, Lord. We haven't got to stew over um, just confusing ideas. That's not from you. Thank you, Lord. You just cut through and show us what's what. And as you do that, I pray we'd be able to receive what you're saying and take it to heart and be doers of your word, trust you, get on that journey of transformation. Prophetic words to anyone else in the church, for, for, if it was not for them, but for others here, you're just sensing it in your spirit. Um, it's one of the ways God speaks to us. It's just through one another. Do you want to just uh, share that? That's you.